this message for the speaking of the gospel. So this is your first time here. Really appreciate you coming out tonight. Just remind everyone uh, that we plan to go through this chapter of Isaiah 53, this great prophetic chapter, this week coming to, Lord willing, each night at 7.30. And uh, any night that you're able to make it, you'll be warmly welcome. So before we open up God's word and speak from it, we'll ask for his blessing on the meeting, and we'll pray together. Our Father, we give thanks for the message that we have tonight, a message uh, that is the greatest that any human ear has ever heard or ever will hear. And the reason for that is because of the subject of the message. And that subject is the one who is the chiefest among 10,000, the one who is greater than, and the one who is eternal. The one who took our place at Calvary and died for us, was buried and rose again. It's a message about your son, Jesus Christ. Give us help as we would proclaim it again tonight. Pray for our audience here that we would have attention and also that there would be those here tonight uh, who would understand this message of God's free gift of salvation to whoever will believe because the work is finished, finished at Calvary. We ask now all these things in your son's name, the Lord Jesus. Amen. If you have a Bible, we're going to read in Isaiah 53. We started last Tuesday at verse 1, and each night just been going through these different verses, and tonight we come to verse number 6. Verse number 6 of Isaiah 53. Once again, I think I say each night a famous verse, but a lot of the verses in this chapter are famous. And so we're going to speak on this verse tonight. Well known to many of us. We've had to memorize it when we were young. Uh, sometimes nervous to say it in front of people, but we were probably guaranteed some prize if we did so. But tonight, just to read it um, and then to comment on it in the gospel. Isaiah 53 and verse 6 says this, But he was, sorry, that's verse 5. Verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. If it's your first time reading this chapter or these verses, one thing that will make you marvel maybe most is that as you read those words, if you're familiar at all with the Bible story, your mind goes directly. You say, I know who this is speaking about, Jesus Christ. And what you might not know is that these words were put on a page 700 years before he was ever born. So significant, this prophecy. And as you read these verses, maybe you'll do so later on, you say, how could this be any other man? And how significant to know of this story and this these 12 verses of this chapter that tell us about Jesus Christ. Tonight I want to speak the gospel from these verses. You say, what is the gospel? The gospel is good news. Good news. And a lot of people think that there's different types of good news when it comes to religion, but I beg to differ. Because heaven is guaranteed to anyone and to everyone tonight. Doesn't matter who walks through that door, Forgiveness of sins is guaranteed through this book that I hold and through the Savior that is spoken of here. 
And yet the good news tells us how someone gets that. You know, if I told you that for you to go to heaven, you would have to write me a check for $50,000. For some of you, that would be okay news, because you might have that. For this young man, it would be terrible news. If salvation was for you to get on your knees and for you to go home on your knees tonight, you'd say, that would be great if somehow you visit us tonight and you live on Pocono Road. But if you live where I live, uh, in northern New Jersey, that would be awful news. If salvation depends on you tonight, it's bad news. You could just end it there. But if your salvation and your forgiveness depends on someone else, that's great news. If it depends on someone who already knows you and knows all the wrongs that you've done, that's even more wonderful. And if that person happens to be the Savior who died on a cross, it becomes not only good news, it becomes great news. And so we're reading this here tonight because from scriptures I can tell you, I can tell you personally tonight, I think other people would second me, I'm not really interested in what church you attend and I'm not interested in what religion you have or have not admired in the past. Um, I'm interested in where you'll be for all eternity because the Bible's interested in that as well. You know, tomorrow, tomorrow, if you pass away, it won't matter if you paid the mortgage for June and it won't matter if you got your lawn mowed. It won't matter if you actually successfully got the hotel down the shore for the summer vacation. None of that will matter tomorrow if you pass away. The only thing that will matter is whether or not you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the reason that we consider it so significant to pick up this book and not for me just to spit my own opinion at you is that there must be an authority that can tell us that for sure we can know in this life that we are forgiven. But we can know it because we didn't come into the world forgiven. But if we can leave this life saved, there's no greater possession. And anybody who thinks that there is a greater possession than that in life has not known that every man who's ever died has brought nothing with him. And that when it comes to the end of this life, the only thing that you can take with you is your sins or your Savior. And the option is yours. And so tonight you read this verse, Isaiah 53 and 6. You say, is this verse significant? To me it is, because I was 15 years old. On the Tuesday before Thanksgiving in the year 1998, I was brought up in a Christian home, and I was brought out to meetings like this. I probably attended them in the hundreds, and yet I am still on my way down to perishing in a lost eternity. But on that Tuesday evening, I woke up that Tuesday morning. It's a great morning that week because you know that Wednesday's a half day before Thanksgiving break. I knew I had two weeks, off, two days off that week. I knew I was getting together with family on that on that Thursday for Thanksgiving. I knew that on Friday we would be going shopping for things. But what marked that week and what has marked my life ever since is that that Tuesday night, this verse was read to me. And what I realized that night that I had never known before is that everything that was necessary for my salvation had already taken place. Because the writer says, and we could read it again, all we like sheep, we've gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord, mind you, I was never an English scholar, but it says the Lord hath, it's in the past tense, hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. There was a man that night who told me this, God is satisfied, are you? Reading that verse, and I've gone back to it many times, because a lot of people would tell me, there's no possible way you could know in this life that you're going to heaven. And I pick up this Bible, and I turn to this chapter, 
And I look at verse 6 and I say, I'm absolutely sure because you know what? Nothing else needs to take place for me to be forgiven. The Lord's already placed my sins on his son. God has said it. I have believed it. No one can take that away from me. Would to God that you would have the same possession tonight. Isaiah 53 and 6, it's very significant because it starts with it all and it ends with it all. And a lot of people like that. We, we, we love symmetry in verses. And it, it talks about it all that have sinned. And yet at the end of the verse, sometimes people don't like to belong to certain demographics or certain groups. A lot of times they'll say, uh, who wants to belong to this group? And, and you'll say, I would, I would never want to in my life belong to that group of people. Until you find out all the benefits, it seems, gets to go along with a certain group. And yet the one group that no one, no one wants to belong to are people that are lost in life. People who don't know where they're going. We, we often remark with kind of a, sometimes a little bit of humor and sometimes just a, we loathe people. You say they have no direction. They don't know where they're going. And yet the verse starts there and says, all we like sheep, we... We're lost. We've gone astray. So I never want to belong to that group. Well, my friend tonight, to belong to that group, the great news is that the verse ends that the Lord has placed every sin on his son. All our sins, it says. Every single one of them. And so to belong to the first, as tragic as that might sound, it's so triumphant at the end of the verse. Those two alls. But just thinking about this tonight, there seem to be a lot of alls in this verse. There's an all at the beginning, there's an everyone in the middle, and there's an all at the end. And for the sake of inclusivity, I'm going to speak on those three tonight. The Bible starts here and says, all we like sheep. I don't know too much about sheep, and maybe you do. Um, I think it's an apt metaphor. You know, the Bible doesn't describe us in a lot of ways. And you would say sheep would be the last on my list if I were making a card and I was sending it to someone. As a comparison, we compare people to a lot of things. You ever had someone tell you, how oh, you look like someone? And they tell you that person and you say, what an insult, right? You think, it's always, sometimes we don't like being compared unless they've been in a movie or they've been a, you know, even now being a president, you don't like to be compared to anyone. But you say, it always has to be grander to be compared, but going down the ladder is often an insult. No one wants to be compared to something below them, something uh, of no dignity, something that is so helpless. And yet God chooses this metaphor so aptly. I was thinking of sheep, and though I don't know what shepherds go through, and I'm not too familiar with sheep, I do know this. That sheep owe their existence, and they owe their happiness, their health, their well-being to a shepherd. There's no such thing as wild sheep. You could have wild dogs. You could have wild chickens. You could have wild cats, although you don't want to live in a neighborhood where they exist. But wild things, you say, they live on their own. They learn how to survive. Not so with sheep. They don't live on their own. They don't survive on their own. They're helpless. And so the scripture starts there. I was thinking too, sheep are just known to be lost. They can't get home. This I have a little familiarity with. I was thinking in my own life uh, where I live, I, was, I actually had a problem with different animals or different things. There was once a dog that was lost in my yard and the owner of that dog come to my front door and he decided to tell me about uh, a dog that was his. And he said, it's in your yard. And I said, well, thanks for telling me. 
really appreciate that. And he says, don't worry, and I thought that was a little kind of uh, suspect too, don't worry about this dog that's in your yard. And I said, are you going to get it? He says, no, he's afraid. He don't approach him. He won't, he won't come back to you. And I said, well, what do you plan to do? He said, don't worry. Dogs always come home. And I kind of thought maybe he was crazy or the dog was crazy. He wasn't sure which to. Needless to say, a week later, the man come back and the dog had come home. Because dogs go home. Dogs know where they live. Sometimes they can smell a person from miles away. I also had another problem. In my attic, I had all these flying squirrels. And I couldn't get rid of them. If you ever have flying squirrels in your attic, they're nocturnal. That means they're up when you're asleep. It's an awful thing. And I called in uh, someone. I said, hey, can you get them out? Can you? He goes, no. He goes, it's a, it's a tricky thing, Dave. He says, when they're born, he goes, and, and, and they're taken away from where they're born, which was my attic. He says, they have this instinct. They can find their way back to where they were born. And he thought that was remarkable. And I thought that was the worst news I'd ever heard, because they were coming back to my attic. But they could get back home. The squirrels can do that. Dogs can do that. I worked on a pig farm for a whole summer. Pigs can do that. Sheep cannot. Sheep can't get home. They're smart enough to find the one hole in the fence that's one foot by and get out. But, but they'll never look for that hole again to get back in. Sheep don't come back. Sheep wander. They go afar. They, they are unaware of the danger that is ahead of them. But the metaphor is apt for humanity, and it is apt for all of humanity, that all we, like sheep, have gone astray. In other words, the Bible says this, we are lost. Lost. And that's another term. You say, it's okay for my child to be lost. It's, it's okay for, you know, a, a, my, my grandmother, who, who, who maybe is not so focused anymore, for her to get lost. We'll send out Amber alerts of that. You say, but, but for someone who knows and is cognizant and understands things, to tell them they're lost, you say, can be insulting. But I remind you here from scriptures, if you've never been lost, you can never be found. And if you've never sinned, you can never be saved. If you've never wronged, you can never be forgiven. And so you must take this. You must realize here the significance. One of the most famous chapters in our Bibles is a chapter, Luke 15. It's the chapter that tells us about that very famous story of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son who goes into a far country and is lost and returned. It tells us about coins that are lost and need to be found. But I think the story, maybe that most people are familiar with, about sheep that begin that chapter of Luke 15. And the story goes that there's a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and, and a hundred of them. And he loses one. And it says there, he leaves the ninety and nine. Everybody here is probably familiar or heard that story. I want to remind you of some words from that story because that story is telling us about the Lord Jesus Christ. And just listen to these words. Four words says there about that shepherd depicting the Lord Jesus Christ that he will go out looking for that sheep and it says here until he finds it until he finds it you ever give up a search for something you ever had your parents say go out into the lawn and find our keys and you look for six hours and you give up or someone tells you, uh, I've, I've been asked to find engagement rings in, in huge tanks. 
and uh, I'll search for a couple hours and always with sus suspicion from the owner, come to them and say, I can't find it. I've been asked to find uh, my car in New York City when I had no idea where it was. And, and you search for hours before you call the police and let them do. And you say, there are so many things in life that we search, but we have a limit to how long we will search for something. I'm thankful to be able to tell you from the Bible tonight about a savior. It says about him, he looks until he finds it. That means he doesn't give up. That means there's no time period in which he has set for the search. He looks until he finds it. I can already hear the question coming from the audience. You say, not everyone ends up in heaven. How come? Because not all people think they're lost. Not everyone thinks they're lost. But it says here about people who are lost. He finds them. He looks until he finds them. It's a guarantee from the Bible for salvation, for forgiveness. All we like sheep, we've gone astray. Thank God there's a shepherd who's looking for souls tonight. You say, oh, it's because I'm worth it. No, he looks for us. And really the metaphor is so apt. We are just like sheep. It's not because of any worth in us. It's because of what he has done. You know, the next part of the verse says this. We've, we've turned everyone his own way. We, we, we've Sometimes people look at this and they say, oh, what does that mean, this own way? You know what? You say, some people are lost and they're a million miles from home. I, I know a friend of mine, and, and when he graduated, he chose the farthest part in the continental United States in which to go, and he went to Hawaii because he wanted to get far away from home as he could possibly go. And then there was another friend of mine, and, and he didn't get along with his parents either, but he just moved the next town over. But neither one of them wanted to be home. You say, oh, they went, was it, it was such a different distance to which they went, Dave. You say, but, but the principle was still the same. They were both gone. They didn't want to be home. When it comes to sin, when it comes to the wrongs that I've committed, a lot of us, we tend to look down on some people who have, have taken lives, have abused others, have, have taken advantage, and we say, I'm nowhere near what they are as though somehow that elevates me and lowers them. And, and if, if I'm elevated enough, then God's going to look favorably on my attempts. But that right there, that is the despicable part of humanity. We know those individuals. Prisons are filled with them. There are places on earth you will not visit because you say there's no respect for human life. But you say, not me. See, the Bible says differently. The Bible says here, every man's gone his own way, but really... What does it matter if we're all lost? Reminds me of, uh, of stories in scripture where there were debtors. One owed $500 and one owed 50. But they had no money. They had no money to pay. So what's the difference? They're both in debt. I remember when I was a freshman in university up uh, in the Bronx in New York City. And I, I decided for some odd reason to go into engineering, which was a mistake to begin with. I took physics. And I remember my physics class, the first semester, at the end of it, I knew I was towards the bottom of the class. And I probably thought somehow there was going to be a great adjustment based on how bad I had done. But I remember I found one guy who had done worse than me. And there he was in the library. And we had taken the final that day. And I said, how, how did you do? He said, not, not good. He said, how did you do? I said, oh, I, I finished the course with a 70. That's a C minus. And he said, oh, I failed. I got a 50. Uh, it, to be honest, inside of me was a little, 
I had done better. He said, you know, you need at least a C plus to pass the course. We've all gone our own way, but what does it matter? If you're a good person and you're lost tonight, if you're the greatest of people and you're lost tonight, what's the difference? If you're lost, if you sit in a church pew every Sunday, what does it matter? You say if you're lost and you're a scholar that knows the Bible back to front, there's a lot of people in this world that are depending on something other than Jesus Christ to get them home to heaven, the great shepherd. And to be honest, they've gone their own way. What does it matter? What does it matter being lost one way or the other? You know, when it comes to sin, sometimes we think of sin as though there are there are sins up here that that, that are only for the, the most despicable amongst us. But then there are these, we, we sometimes call them, what do they call them, white-collar crimes. There, there, are, there are sins that are just almost a default to life. You're going to lie. You're, you're, you're probably going to insult someone. You're going to show hatred. You're, you're going to show some untrustworthiness at some point in your life. We all do. But, but, but then there are these things up here. You say, it doesn't even compare to that. There's murder. And you say there's, there's people who have abused other human beings. There's people who have taken the inheritances and the, the money from elderly individuals. You say, these people up here on a whole other level. You know, it's funny. The Lord Jesus told a story about that once. And he said, you say that it's, 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 it's sin for you to take someone's life. But he says, I say to you, I say to you. These are the words of the Lord Jesus. He says, I say to you, if, if you've had hatred in your heart, he says, you're no different. He says, you say to me that, that it's, it's, it's wrong, you know, for uh, infidelity in marriage. But he says, if, if you looked at another woman with lust, he says, tell me what is the difference. Please tell me. You say, why would he set the bar that high? Why in the world? You know, I used to compete in track and field. And I did one event that was called the high jump. And when you went to events, they would set the opening height at five feet, right like that. And I could clear five feet on a good day. It took everything I had to get over that bar of five feet. But when you went to the big meets, where only the big uh, schools came, and they were like the state meets, they, they, they increased that from five feet to five four. And, and you know, my coach would tell me, he would go, Dave, you know, it's a small school, just, just go, just go do it. And I'd run up three times and hit the bar three times, and I was humiliated. And I would do it because they told me to, but I knew I had no chance. You know, the Lord Jesus, I'm so glad for what he said, because a lot of us think that the standard to get into heaven is within eye shot. It's like that high jumping bar that we say, you know, maybe it's here for us. We say, you give me a little while, I'll train long enough, I'll make it over that one day, I'll get there. You give me a little time, a little practice, and I'll make it. It's like, you know, even I could say, you give me enough time, I'm going to clear that height. I'll get over that standard. The Lord Jesus takes the bar and he puts it on the top of the roof of this building. You know why? So that none of us would think we were ever going to deserve or earn heaven. Instead, we would realize right now and right here that boasting doesn't come into it. Neither does pride. Neither does earning or deserving. If I'm ever going to be there one day, it won't be because of what I've done or achieved. It'll be because of what Jesus Christ did at Calvary. Nothing else not. Turn every man to his own way. Whatever your way is tonight, it is not the way of John 14 and 6, where Christ Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And so if I realize I'm lost, 
And I realize that there's no standard I will ever meet, that we're all lost, from the best of us to the worst of us, to the most educated to the least, to the ones who are most renowned, to the ones who are known by no one. We are all born in this world lost. And yet our lives do not have to end that way. I'm reminded of a basketball coach. His name was Monty Williams. And he had a wife, Ingrid Williams. He was a coach for the Oklahoma City Thunder. He had five children. And he was 45 years old. The story is from three years ago. And a couple days after they celebrated their 20th wedding anniversary, Ingrid Williams was killed in a head-on car collision in Oklahoma City. And Monty Williams got up at the funeral. And his five sons were there. And he got up in front of that audience and he said this. I'll never forget the words. He said, someone came up to me today and said, we're sorry for your loss. And he said, I know where she is. She's not lost. I know where she is. She's not lost. Those are some of the most refreshing words I've ever heard. And another man's eulogy of someone else. How often we get to the end of the life and we stare down into that chasm of six feet under, the numbers are about to be etched on the other side of that dash, and all we can say is we hope. We hope. For that person, we say, they're in a better place. I say, they never told, they never told me. They never said that to me. I've known people personally, talk to them every day, talk to them for a greater part of my life. And then when you stand at their funeral and people say, oh, it's good to know that they're in a better place, I say, I wish, I wish they could have told me about that. My friend, salvation is not something to hope for. Eternity is not something that when you get there, you're gonna have a sigh of relief and say, wow, that was close. No, salvation is something as sure as the seat you sit in, as sure as the address that you will go home today. You can know it the same way you know your phone number. Because it's written in God's word, all we like sheep, we've gone astray, we all have our different ways, but here is the crux of the matter, and here is the wonder of the gospel. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord laid on him, that's Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. That means no one is outside of the all. When Jesus Christ died that day at Calvary, one person has reflected, if you were there that day and you were wondering why the carpenter from Nazareth was hanging on a cross outside of the city of Jerusalem in what was known as the town garbage dump, why was he there nailed to a cross with soldiers around him, with others tossing insults in his face. Why was there spit? Why was he beaten? As you look at all those things that day, and you remark, who is responsible for this? Who is responsible for the only sinless man to ever walk planet Earth? Who is responsible for him hanging on two wooden beams put side to side? Who is responsible for the nails in his hands? Who is responsible for this? Just holy man hanging above the city landfill. Who's responsible? Bible says God is. That is the wonder of it all. 
The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. God was responsible for him. Why? Why in the world? Because of a love that he has shown to us that we do not deserve nor could we earn. In fact, the Bible says just the opposite. We hated him for without a reason. And yet here we read the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. It is uh, so succinct and it is put so that everyone could understand. All my iniquities, we say, on him were laid. All my debts were also placed on him. All my sins. You know, iniquities, it turns what's wicked in life. You know why I think he uses iniquities? Because there are some things in life that we would admit them to each other. We would say, yes, yes, I did do that. But but, but really, who's keeping track? Yes, I did cheat there. I, I did file my 2012 tax return a little incorrectly. And, and yes, I, I did. I did maybe put in a couple hours overtime uh, at work a couple years ago. And, and, and yes, I, I have had times as a parent where I, I really, uh, you say all these little things that we might admit. We might, just, we might just say it and we think we're willing to admit it because we're all guilty. You know, the Bible talks of things that we will never admit. They'll never come out of our heads. They'll never remove from that closet. And thank God, you say, that people don't know all that I'm guilty of. But thank God that he did know. He took those iniquities, the things that we will never disclose to anyone else. And he placed them on his son openly. And his son took them and bore them at Calvary in order that I would be forgiven. And that is the gospel message. When I read this verse, this verse that I was saved through, Isaiah 53 and 6, I can't help but think of John 10. If you're familiar with the book of John, you'll know that John 10 deals with the shepherd, speaking about the Lord Jesus. And to quote him in that shepherd, he said this, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. You've read that on cards, and you've probably seen that somewhere. You've probably seen it on a funeral card. You may have even read it in the scriptures. And you read it, and you gloss over it so many times, and you never stop to wonder at it. If I told you tonight, and I mean this, I don't mean to do any, I don't mean to be irreverent in any way tonight. Please hear me out. If I told you tonight that I knew of a shepherd somewhere here in Connecticut who died in order that his sheep would live, you would call that man. You would never in a million years ever consider a shepherd who gave his life for an animal, a hero. Never. And none of us would ever be held guilty of thinking any other way. You say, you say if, if, if in the newspaper tomorrow, if somehow in our local paper here in Danbury, we get news that, that somewhere here, some hobby pharmacist, who called himself a shepherd, had 10 sheep, and one of them got out and ran across the road, and he went and tried to preserve it, and himself died. You'd say, the man was mixed up. He didn't, he didn't know what he was doing. He made a mistake in thinking that that animal was worth it for his life. In case you thought you understood the gospel, and you thought you understood God, 
I ask you tonight, what is the difference between God becoming man and giving himself for me? What is the difference? Please tell me what the difference is. And the one who has made heaven and earth, who has placed every star in the sky, and tonight he will call them all out by name. Tell me, what is the difference in the one who has done that? The fact that he came into this world, he became a man, he lived for 33 years, and then on a Friday from the hours of 9 a.m. until 3 p.m. in the year 1833, he decided to give his life in order to save mine. You can tell me the difference between that and a shepherd giving his life for a sheep. I would love to hear it. But I don't know of any difference. Because there was nothing in me worth saving. And I would tell you this, if you ever get to that point too, you'll realize how tremendous the love of God is. That the good shepherd gave his life for the sheep. You say, how could I be saved? How could I know it? That same chapter, John 10 said this, about the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. He says, my sheep hear my voice. They know me, they follow me. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No man shall pluck them out of my hand, and no man shall take them out of my Father's hand, and my Father is greater than I. That's security that is quite unbelievable tonight. But don't forget what the Lord Jesus says. Tonight, you can know your sins forgiven because Christ has died. It's already done. You can be guaranteed of that beyond any shadow of a doubt. Because like any good payment, I hold in my hands the receipt that has been around for the past 2,000 years. And you can study it, and you can scrutinize it as any good accountant would, and you'll find out this, that that has been paid. The price has been taken care of. The work is finished. Salvation is done. And on the night that I got saved, saved from my sins, saved from going down to hell, I realized just that. The fact that Christ died is something of the past. And yet the night that I realized he died for me was something of the present. The fact that one day I'll be in eternity is in the future. But if I ever die and you ever attend the future, please, 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 don't ever say that you've lost me. I'm telling you tonight, I'm guaranteed. I once was lost, but now I am found. As the hymn writer could say in that great amazing grace, I once was blind, but now I see. I once, and I probably still am a wretch, but thank God that God saves wretches. He saves those who have iniquities. And as our verse has said, and as you have listened so well tonight, I thank you for that. Go over those words once again. All we like sheep. We have turned everyone to his own way. And yet with a resounding echo, it reverberates through every soul here tonight that would want this salvation. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's not a single soul here tonight for whom Christ did not die. There's not a single sin present in this meeting for which Christ did not give his life. What is left undetermined is whether or not this is something that you want. Is this something worth believing? It is not something to add to the keychain of your life. This is your life. And offer to you tonight, through this book, from the God of Heaven,
his everlasting life because the good shepherd gave his life for the sheep. You could believe it. And you could go home tonight forgiven. Forgiven of every sin, past, present, and future. Because at the time of Calvary, they were all future. And you could go home tonight with a possession that no man can take from you, that you could never lose, that no one could ever take. Why? Because as the words I've quoted to you from John 10 about the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep, no man takes them from my hand. No man. We would hope tonight that if you don't know this Savior, if you don't know this man as your Savior, you would tonight, and you would be sure of salvation because God has said it. God's word will never expire. It will never go out of date. It will never be done with. It is eternal. It's something you can place your trust in. We'll close the meeting in prayer. Our Father, we give thanks once again for your Son. We're thankful uh, for many things today. For family, for friendships. Thankful for this place to come and to open your word. Thankful that we're still able to do that without any fear of persecution here in this land. We're thankful for our country. We're thankful, and the list would go on. But, Lord, as we would come to the close of the first day of the week, in light of eternity, we are thankful for one thing and one thing only, for the love of God that was demonstrated at Calvary. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We pray, Lord, for the souls in our meeting tonight, that the souls that are here would recognize they could lose their sin instead of losing their souls. And they could have this salvation because Christ has taken their place and taken their iniquities. We ask the Lord to bless us and bring us home safely. And we ask all this in your Son's name, the Lord Jesus. Amen. I'll just sing in closing in number 76. In number 76 says, O Christ, in thee my soul hath found, and found in thee alone the peace, the joy I sought so long, the bliss till now unknown. Now none but Christ can satisfy, no other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy, Lord Jesus found in thee. We'll sing the whole hymn, hymn number 76, and our meeting will be over. If you have any questions, comments, or anything you'd like to bring up, or anything you'd like to know, feel free to talk to myself um, at the end of the meeting. We'd be glad to uh, inform you or answer any inquiries that you would have. So we'll sing hymn number 76 to close the meeting. Oh Christ in thee my soul